Hello, and welcome to the Client Experience Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Raya Gonzalez, and I welcome you today to a very special episode with my guest, Heidi Bushy. Hi, Raya. How are you? Yes. (laughs) Heidi is a renowned author, and Heidi, I would love for them to know the title of your book, please. Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on your show and sharing your platform with me. Uh, My name is Heidi B. I am a speaker, author, and relationship expert. My first book, Relationship Ready, How I Stopped Fucking Randos and Started Cupcaking My Soulmate, is now available on Amazon, paperback, on Kindle, and on Audible. And, you know, basically it's half memoir and half how-to. It's the story of really how I bottomed out with men in relationships, became willing to try something different, did some work around that stuff, and met and married my soulmate. I have enjoyed this book so much. If you guys have the chance, I'm an audible person myself, so I've been listening to it. And Heidi narrates, which is always fun when the (laughs) author narrates the book. But it's just, it's hilarious and it's sad and it's happy and it takes you on this ride of emotions. I highly recommend it. I highly recommend the book to everyone, but I wanted to have her on because I thought there is this, connection really between Mm. the ride that we take professionally in our journey and also in the ride that we take in our relationships. And Heidi agreed. So we wanted to just have a dialogue about dating and career success. And so that's what brought us here together today. That's what we're going to do. I'm so excited. I'm also so excited that you listened to the book because, you know, like I said, some people, I mean, it just makes my heart full anytime anyone reads it. So thank you. Well, I'll be passing it along for free to somebody. Oh, it is like the most savage ass stocking stuffer. I remember I published it in October of last year and I ran a campaign through November and December of like, this is the most savage stocking stuffer you can get yes. anyone. Like, yes, I love it. I love it so much. But I wanted to start with something that you kind of touched on in the book too. And that, well, for me was the teen years because I got married really young, but for most people is really like the early twenties and throughout your twenties and maybe early thirties. It's this time of like exploration when you're dating, but also especially our generation and the generations behind us, there's really an exploration in career and you see more and more people job hopping and Mm -hmm. trying to find that elusive work-life balance and what feels good, you know, career-wise. But then we're also like relationally, we're, you know, trying to find not necessarily our soulmate all the time at that time of period. No way. But But like, just like who you want to hang out with for a while, like who might be cool to hang out with for a while. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about from that perspective, what your thoughts are? Yeah, I really like the idea of kind of the parallel journey through career and the parallel journey through relationship and what that looks like at different stages of life. I want to start by just saying that like, I I put this pretty early... I put this out there really early on in the book as well. Just that like, look, there's literally nothing wrong with fucking randos. If you're fucking randos and having a great time, I have no judgment. We are a judgment-free zone over Mm -hmm. here. That's awesome. I hope it's awesome and I hope it's still fun for you, right? The reason I wrote the book and the thing that's kind of interesting, what happens to us in our 20s and and early 30s is like, for me, I was fucking randos and having a great time. And really like I was in, I was newly sober. I was, I was like living above board lifestyle. You know, I'm like, I don't drink, I don't do drugs. I like go to work when I'm supposed to go work. Like my last two vices were parking illegally and fucking randos, right? And so I was like, (laughs) I do what I want. Park where I want, I fuck who I want, I do whatever. All of a sudden I talk about it to a further extent in the book, I won't hear, but but I, one day I woke up and was like, this is no longer serving me and it's really painful. And like I don't know how to do anything else, right? Like I don't know, like I only know how to swipe and left swipe left and swipe right. Like I don't know how to like have a relationship. The tools in my toolkit 
for dating, i.e. Tinder, were not the same tools that I needed for having a long-term, sustainable, deeply intimate and emotional relationship. So one of the things that I think is um, really important and that really does parallel is like my early 20s, I was just out there really doing whatever. You know, there's a period of exploration. I was starting to date a lot of unavailable guys. I was also starting to reject plenty of available guys. I was, you know, doing risky things, stuff that I look back on like, wow, that was a little reckless, you know, and, I, and I'm really lucky that I made it through unscathed. But I think one of the things um, that you and I talked about is I ignored a lot of red flags during this period, you know, so I was, have, and I think about it in terms of like the red flags of dating. Like I ignored the fact that, that I was dating guys that had girlfriends. I ignored the fact that I was becoming friends with guys that had girlfriends, kind of always hoping that they would dump their girlfriend and choose me. I was ignoring, you know, the fact that I was dating guys that lived super far away from me that I really had no opportunity to like really I would not really have an opportunity to have a life with them. And the other thing was, I think I was also, while I was exploring all this stuff, I was also kind of chasing something that psychology refers to as the linear social script. So by my mid-20s, my my mid and late 20s, women around me, my girlfriends around me were like settling, having long-term boyfriends, settling down, getting married, buying a house, having kids. And so that's how I found myself married at 25 because I ignored red flags I didn't listen to my own intuition. I didn't honor what was true for me. And I decided like, I'm going to do what everyone else around me is doing. I don't want to get left behind. I'm going to marry this guy. I ended up marrying a guy that I barely knew, which is, was bad for him and me. (laughs) Well, and I've seen this too in my own life from a business standpoint, there have been multiple jobs, multiple Mm -hmm. jobs where I took the job because on paper it looked good and Mm. I thought it would be an advancement or I thought it would be like the title that I should have at this point period in my life, which would be like the equivalent of like being married when you're supposed to be married or have a baby when you're supposed to have a baby or whatever. There were red flags. There were things where I was like, I'm not sure. And for me, it was like, is this fear or is this a red flag? And so I would talk myself out of the red flag by saying like, oh, I'm just, you know, limiting myself or Mm -hmm. I'm just, you know, I, you know, I would just find some excuse for why it wasn't a red flag within my being and I would go for it and it would invariably and horribly and usually at the cost of my self-esteem or, or, you know, just well, usually at the cost of my self-esteem because I would always internalize it and say I did something wrong. Like it could never be that my boss was a total douche canoe. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) never ever be that. It was always because I wasn't enough or I didn't do it right or I wasn't ready or, you know, any of those things. And so I think that there can be some parallels there where you're in the exploration of jobs and careers. And I think there are insecurities when you are perceiving that you need to hit certain milestones, Yeah, that you will do things that you feel intrinsically are unacceptable, yeah. but you do it anyways. Because you feel like you have to, to meet the quota of whatever you're supposed to be doing at that time period. And now, like, even if I worked in corporate, I'm an entrepreneur now, but even if I worked in corporate, like I've told the last, like the last three or four corporate jobs I've had, like you can fucking call me a toilet brush person. Like I don't give (laughs) a shit what title I have because titles are nothing. Like titles count for nothing. And this was something that was so important to me before. 
so important to be manager or to be in charge of something or to have the title. And for me, like professionally now, I am the CEO and the founder of my company, but I'm also like, I am the toilet bowl cleaner. Like I clean up the shit of this company. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And well, like what really is kind of resonating for me where the crossover is between the two is that we spend this time in our twenties undermining or ignoring what we know is deep truth within us, right? Because we're like, oh, well, everyone's over there getting married or everyone's over there climbing the corporate ladder. I should be too. And so we don't really follow our instincts. So we ignore those red flags and we take jobs that we shouldn't and we fuck guys that are not good for us or whatever. And then we end up in a lot of emotional turmoil and pain, like you said. Absolutely. Absolutely. The turning point for me, there's so many that should have been turning points for me. There were like a couple things, you know, and I'm speaking professionally, just so the audience knows, I'm speaking more from the professional standpoint because I literally got married when I was an infant. Like I was only only 19 when I got married and we'll get into that too. But so my journey, like my coming of age was really my professional coming of age because Mm. I had to learn how to adult while being a wife and while being a mother because I chose to have kids really young. And so Mm -hmm. for me, a lot of these lessons learned were professional, but they did carry over to the way, I mean, like if I had been dating, these are the ways that I would have been dating because I was Mm -hmm. doing all of these behaviors just in a different setting. And so that's why I speak from this more Mm career-minded standpoint. But in terms of like turning point and figuring out that this exploration was not serving me, was, you know, like a couple things. Like one, I had worked in healthcare for so long, like Mm -hmm. for 18 years. And I graduated college after 12 years of just doing it on my own, like slow Mm -hmm. slow and steady. And I was like, I should be doing something businessy because I went to a college of business. (laughs) And so I was like, so I'm going to quit healthcare and I'm going to do something businessy. And so Mm -hmm. I went to work for New York life and I did that for two years. I was extremely successful at doing it. And, but I didn't see myself as a salesperson, which is funny because literally what I was doing was selling life insurance, but I found myself feeling more as like a public servant because I, because the product or, you know, the, you know, the product and service that I provided, I believed so strongly in, and I believed that I was helping people so strongly. So it felt like I was helping someone instead of like that I was selling them something. But ultimately when you are in sales, which by the way, selling life insurance is sales, there comes some difficult points when you're a hundred percent commission. And so we had some financial things happen and I had to go back to work in healthcare and I felt miserable. I felt like I had failed. I felt like what was the point of all that, you know, of all that stuff. And it kind of spiraled from there. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do healthcare, then I better do it right. And so I decided I was going to be a nurse. And, (laughs) and so I started the journey to get my prereqs and do the work to become a nurse. And I wasn't just going to be a nurse. I was going to go all in. I was going to be the best nurse nurse practitioner. And I was going to specialize in gerontology. I mean, like I was real specific. I had the program (laughs) picked out. I had it all figured out. And so, you know, but I have this turning point, but I'm still not quite there with the work situation. And so I made a choice to move to a more clinical setting so that I could be more competitive 
And I ignored some very big red flags and Mm -hmm. went into a very toxic work environment during a time period where personally I was really struggling anyways. Mm -hmm. And, and ultimately it just came to like this huge head. So Mm -hmm. like from a like work standpoint, it was both circumstance and then personal choices. In your book, you talk about sobriety and and I'm like totally cool with like talking about this too. But like one of the things that I had to really face for myself was that I was self-medicating during this time period. At nighttime, I was drinking very, very heavily because I was Mm -hmm. so miserable I was so upset by my day and like my little one was, she would say like, I would cry after work every day. And my little one would say to me, like, did the bad people say bad things to you again today, mommy? You know, like, I mean, just like heartbreaking things to see, to have my child see me in such a horrible state. You know, I, so I ultimately decided that I had to become sober to um, do that. And it's been... I never even really, like, I'm so bad at counting it, but October will be, I believe, two or three years. I don't even know. Wow. Amazing. Congratulations. You know, I know, but it's a big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. You know, I just decided that I had to face the, I had to face life, you know, like the good and the bad and the, like the joy and the pain. And Mm -hmm. I just had to face it and I couldn't numb it out anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for my journey that I didn't extend past because it could have so easily. I mean, I was right at the tipping point where the drinking could have gone past and really bled over into other parts of my life. So I'm very, very blessed in that way that I stopped when I did because I was so at risk of you know, having it really destroy everything. But I think it goes to say, you know, like when you're at a turning point, it doesn't have to be that you, you know, that everything crumbles, Yeah. but it does mean that you, you have to come to some definitive realization that what you have done up to that point no longer serves you. Would you? Yeah, totally. I agree with that. I mean, you don't have to necessarily hit a rock bottom. And, you know, one of the things that's in my, you know, my book talks a little bit, like I said, it's half memoir and half how to. And so I do share my sobriety story in there. I personally did have to get sober in order to have a life that I have today. There's no way I would have done the work around men and relationships I ended up doing if I had been drinking. There's no way that I would have been able to move into entrepreneurship. There's no way I would have been able to move into self-publishing. Like all of these things today for me, we're not possible, but that's not true for everyone, right? Like not everyone has to hit like those bottoms. But so, like I said, I mean, with dating and relationships, what happened for me is I was kind of like, you know, I was like two years sober. I was like doing what I wanted. I park where I want, I fuck who I want. And I made this arrangement with this guy that we were just going to like get down. We were just going to get down. We weren't going to date. We were just going to meet up and get down. And uh, he had a girlfriend at the time. I, I was not phased by it. He wasn't phased by it. And so for a couple months, we just did that, you know? And then, you know, after three months of that, his girlfriend broke up with him. And then a month after that or something, he came to me and was like, you know, I don't know if I can keep doing this with you. I feel like I'm objectifying you. I wondered like, could we go for like dinner and get down or could we go to a movie and get down? And I looked at him and I said like, we can do that, but that would be dating. Yeah. yeah. You know, that would be dating. And he yeah. was like, I was clear with you from the beginning. I do not want to date you. And really like the bottom fell out for me in that moment. I left, I must've just like, I don't know. I don't remember what I did in the moment. I know I left his apartment. I know I got in my car and I know he just started to cry because really what had happened for me when the bottom fell out was like, I realized that, you know, 
four months or five months prior when I'd made this arrangement with him, it might've been true for me that I was cool to just like get down and whatever. But by the time that we'd come to where he had told me he never wanted to date me, I realized like I'd been lying to myself because I'd been hoping that he was going to dump her and date me, you know? And Mm. I was like, God, this sucks. This is, this is so painful. I do this over and over again, where I put myself in a position to be rejected by men who are not available to me whether it's because they don't live in my area, whether it's because they're in their own cycle of addiction, drug addiction, alcoholism, or because they're involved with other people. And I am so tired of doing this. And the only tools I have are swiping left and swiping right. I ended up calling a girlfriend of mine who had done some work around men and relationships. It was really funny because, I mean, I was so desperate. To give you an idea of the desperation, she's like, this is causing you a lot of pain and I'm going to make a suggestion that I don't think you're going to like. I'm like, what is it? I'll do anything. And she's like, I need you to stop all of your one-on-one contact with men. So I don't want you just hanging out with men. I don't want you calling men. I don't want you texting men. And I'm like, yeah, because right, you got to remember, I was like totally addicted to this attention I was getting from men. But I was like, you know what? Sure, fine, I'll do it. And I mean, I just, I agreed to it before I really overthought it too much. And also I'll say, I did not think that it was going to take me this long to do the work that I've outlined in the book. So I thought like, oh, here I am thinking like, great, I'm going to do like a two-week dick detox you know, I'm going to do no men for two weeks. I'm going to do all this work. I'm going to be a different person in two weeks. 11 months later, oh my God. <laughs> you know, my entire perspective around love, dating, relationships have been transformed by the work that I did and that I've now outlined in the book. And I only mentioned that because like I take women through this work in anywhere from six to 12 weeks. I'm a particularly stubborn and slow student. It did take me 11 months to like really get it. It doesn't have to take you 11 months to get it, but it's like, that turning point was just this realization for me that I was not honoring what was on my heart. And in business, it's the same thing, right? When we pursue that stuff, the shoulds, the white picket fence, the job, the title, the career, the, you know, the law degree that gives us the wealth for Louboutins and power suits. It's like, but what is your soul telling you? What is your intuition telling you? I'm like, you know, so I have been ignoring that for a long time and I didn't even know how to like get to that. I had some work to do. Tell me a couple of your steps that you use for dating and helping women come to a more healthy realization of how they can be in relationship with themselves and Mm -hmm. then later with other people that might be applicable to business. Yeah. There are a couple of tools that are in the book that I think would be so useful if you are in that stage of business career where you're like, you've done the experimenting it's not really serving you. You're in something that doesn't light your heart on fire. Like, look, we're here for such a short period of time. We deserve it all, right? You deserve to have a relationship that lights you on fire. You deserve to have a career where you're energized, inspired, and joyful. So it's like, what changes do I need to make to have that? So you're right. The first thing I had to do was like, find me. I had lost me along the way with all of the, you know, ignoring my intuition and ignoring what was on my heart. So I had to find me. And there are a couple ways I did that. The first thing that I did, and then I asked all the women I work with to do is I asked them to create an inventory of their past relationships. And I asked them to assess those relationships along a number of dimensions. The first being just kind of like the highlights and the low, like a summary of the relationship, what it was like. Then the next being, you know, what did you get out of this relationship? How did it affect you? Like, did it make you feel good to be somebody's like trophy wife? Did it make you feel financially secure because you were with somebody who made a lot of money? Did it make you feel powerful because you felt hotter than the person you were dating, right? Like get real honest. I ask women to get real honest with that. And in the book, I get real honest with my stuff because I feel like I want to put my shit on blast so that you feel comfortable sharing yours 
honestly as well, right? And then the last dimension I ask women to assess their relationships on is this dimension of like, what was your part? What did you contribute to the demise of the relationship? So were you jealous? Were you controlling? Were you dishonest? Were you manipulative? Um, were you fearful, right? There are all these questions you can ask yourself about what you did to kind of like help the whole thing come crashing down. Did you choose somebody that you knew was unavailable and chose them anyway? Stuff like that, right? And so when you think about that setup, you can easily apply that framework to your career where it's like, you could inventory the last couple of jobs that you had and go, okay, what did, how did this job affect me? Did it make me feel good? Cause I had an awesome title. Did it right. give me financial security? Cause it came with a huge paycheck. You know, what did I, how did the job affect me? And then what was my part? Oh, I took this job knowing, you know, I took this job in communications, knowing that I hate communications, like knowing right. that I hate, knowing I hate creating content or, you know, that I hate that, you know, so it's like, get real honest with yourself about your last couple of gigs and look at what your part was in how it's come, how it came undone maybe and see like, what are the patterns? So the inventorying process, whether you're using it for career or for relationship is to look at what are the patterns? Because we're creatures of habit. We do the same stuff. We do the same stuff over and over again. <laughs> yes. So if you're looking to create a new pattern, it's important that you have some awareness of your old pattern. That is an intense tool. It takes a minute to do. It can be really hard, especially when I did it around my dating life. I like had this infinity scarf that I just screamed into because I was like, ah! like I just, I couldn't believe some of the stuff that I had to write down when I got real honest about my relationship. So that's the first tool. The other tool that I would suggest is something I recommend in dating all the time. It's called an ideals list, but I've also used this list for um, career and employment myself. Um, when I was between jobs. So really the ideals list is a, is a exercise and an unlimited thinking. Your ideals list can be as long as you want it to be, but I really want it to be all the, if you're doing it for your dating life, I want it to be all the characteristics you're looking for in a partner. If you're doing it for your work life, I want it to be everything about like your ideal job, you know? And so, you know, maybe it's that like your ideal job gives you a lot of latitude, that there's no micromanaging, that it's in a particular field, right? And so once you've got your unlimited list, I want you to look at that list. And if you're using it for dating, I want you to go, how am I embodying these ideals? So if I want to date a guy who's a snowboarder, do I snowboard? Do I even know how to? Do I even have the stuff, right? Or right. am I spending all my time at the mall? Like that's not going to work. You know, you, if you want to date somebody who's a snowboarder, like you better grab your boots and bindings and get up to the hill, kid, right? So we start to look at that stuff and go, how am I, am I embodying these characteristics and how? Or like if I want a guy who's like, quote unquote, rich, right? Am I rich? No. Okay. So maybe I don't necessarily want someone who's rich, but maybe I need somebody who's financially responsible. Oh, okay. Right. Do, I pay my, do I pay my bills on time? Do I, you know, show up for my financial responsibility? Do I pay child support? Do I, you know, whatever it is, right? So it's like, you can start to ask yourself questions about how well you embody your list. And that also applies to your work life, right? So you know, if you don't like to be micromanaged, do you show up and micromanage other people? If you don't mm -hmm. like to work in a particular field, are you applying? Or if you want to work in a particular field, are you even applying for jobs in that field? <laughs> Sometimes we think stuff like that's out of reach. And so we're like, oh, I really want to work in entertainment. I don't know. I don't think I can. I guess I'll work over here in healthcare, right? Or whatever, know. you know, field it's like incredible. It's incredible the things that we do and we like, sometimes we don't even think about it. We just mm -hmm. immediately discount ourselves and do something. I mean, we don't even try. That's the yeah. thing. We don't even try. Yeah. So those are my two favorites. There are plenty of other tools in the book. There are a lot of, I'm a, I'm a list girl. I asked like there's almost every chapter has a list, <laughs> but those are, I think the two best crossover tools that I have for dating and career advice. 
Oh, I love it. I love it. And you have a podcast as well, correct? I do. My show is called the Relationship Ready Podcast. And it started out as a relationship podcast, but I ended up just having um, women on the show that I enjoy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, that's, you just that's came on yesterday. Like, it was so awesome. That's kind of like how this is like blossomed too. I mean, it is definitely business focused, but it's like, I think that we're holistic people, you know? So if you're an entrepreneur or you're in corporate or you are just a professional, I think there's so many different topics. We don't have to just stick to like the traditional marketing or, you know, exactly. like that would be so boring. I think that it is more interesting to embrace the wholeness that we are and just totally. let it go and fly from there. So that's, that's... Yeah. So now it's like anytime I meet like a badass babe, I'm like, oh, you got to come on my show. I got to interview you. And it's so fun because like, I love making the connections. It's great for networking, but it's also just like super interesting. You know, yes. I just, I'm so fascinated, especially by entrepreneurial women of like how we move through some of this scary stuff and just like make the choice to do it. Yeah. So uh, for the entrepreneurs who are listening, hit Heidi up at her website or at any of her contact information. If you have a cool mm -hmm. story to tell. Yes, please. Yes. Well, Heidi, I always ask two questions of my guests before we close. And the first mm -hmm. question is if we were to walk away from this conversation of how dating and achieving career success really aren't as different as you think. What would be the one takeaway that you would want the audience to really just have solidly in their soul that they know before they walk away from this conversation? You know, I didn't talk about it directly, but I think it's implied in the stuff we've discussed and it's so important. It's that, look, you can always change your mind. Yes. You're always allowed to change your mind. You do not have to stay at the shitty job that you don't like. I mean, it's okay. You're resourceful. You're thrifty. I don't even know you. And I know that you are somebody who can like go out and rustle up another job or pivot careers entirely or go on and gain some additional education or, 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 but it's like so often we get stuck in a place because we just think like, well, I just can't leave this. And the reality is you are always allowed to change your mind. And yes. especially if you're willing to show up and put in some work for like, finding a new job, finding a new career, whatever, creating a new career, you're definitely going to come out the other side with something different. So you're just never... So it's just like, I just like to rem remind people. And that's the same with dating. You're always allowed to change your mind. Just because you go on three dates with a guy does not mean you have to marry him. You can go, oh, you know what? We've been on three dates and like, I don't think we click. So thanks so much. Right. But the same wow. thing goes for six months. You could date a guy for six months and change your mind. Or six years. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's so good. And then it does not have to be dating related, does not have to be career related or business related, but what is the very best piece of advice you've been given in your lifetime? Yeah, this is a great question. My mom used to always tell me, I'm an overthinker. I get overwhelmed. I get analysis paralysis. I'm the queen of that stuff. And for years, I've been operating on this piece of advice and has really helped me with that stuff, which is my mom used to just tell me, Heidi, today, any action is good action. So even if you just get out of your bed and make your bed and brush your teeth, like that's good action. Even if you send one of the 50 emails, that's good action. So usually she says any action is good action. And I love that because I really do believe that when we are in action, we are co-creating the future that's out there for us. I am going to use that. I am. Because good. I think that is, there are days that are like super hard. And sometimes mm -hmm. all you want to do is just like hole up in your bed and not <laughs> deal with the world. You know what I mean? And right. I think 
that you're right. You put your two feet on the floor and you get up and you do something and maybe that's make a cup of coffee or walk outside or do whatever it might be. And I think that you, you know, you're checking something off the list. Like any action is a good action. I love that. That's right. Well, we will definitely be linking all of your contact information. What platform, social platform do you hang out on the most? Oh yeah. I'm on Instagram. I'm at, I just changed my handle. I'm at Heidi B coaching on Instagram. And then you can also uh, visit my website, HeidiBCoaching.com. And then you can catch the podcast on Spotify and Apple or probably I know it's those two places, but it might be elsewhere. (laughs) Um, And it's called the relationship ready podcast with Heidi B. Oh, you guys check her out. She's amazing. And I'm just so grateful to have had you on the podcast and gotten to know you. And thank you again for coming to visit us here at our little podcast. You are so welcome. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Well, this has been another episode of the Client Experience Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Raya Gonzalez, and we will see you guys next time. 